I'm not typically a, a procrastinator. Usually if something uh, makes its way on my to-do list, I like to just do it right away. Um, so anytime I know that I'm going to be presenting either on Wednesday night or, or Sunday morning, I'm always, um, I use the word meditation, I'm always pursuing the scriptures, either in my mind, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing, I could be eating dinner or sitting on the couch, watching TV, in some way I'm being distracted by what the Lord is wanting to communicate in the back of my mind, pushing my kids on the swing in the backyard, I'm mentally preparing this blueprint what are the scriptures that mean the most to me currently, and do they narrate a story when you put them together? And um, even if it doesn't look like I'm physically doing anything, like I'm developing the blueprint in my mind, and then I execute the action. <laughs> so when 11.58 p.m. Friday night came, and I had not hit the first key on my computer, I started to get a little concerned about what it was I'd be sharing uh, this morning. And so <clears throat> I was sitting there reading. I've started a new habit in my life where I've started to journal my prayers. And so I have a notebook. It's just not the same when you type it out. A lot of people are digital, and that's great. But I like to write it. So I've started writing my prayers. It's not always the first thing I do in the morning, but it's the first thing I do before I start doing and that requires uh, start doing something that requires mental energy. <clears throat> so instead of sitting down and then starting to think, okay, let me start with an introduction. Where does this introduction lead me? How can I make a good transition? I'll just start to empty myself out there in that journal. And I said, Lord, what do you want to communicate this morning? You haven't really given me much. And if I feel like the Lord is responding, I'll write it down as well. I'll just, I'll write what he says in all caps. And um, I felt like in my heart what he responded was, well, we don't have a whole lot of time, so that's good. And I thought to myself, well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> so his response to me was that, Josh, I really, um, I like it when you're under a little bit of prepare, uh, pressure to prepare like this because you're a lot more sincere when you don't have a whole lot of time to think about what you're going to say. I said, okay. So what are we sincerely communicating this morning? And so what I really feel like the word of the Lord is this morning is that the Father, he is going to provide for us an invitation and I'm just going to honor that invitation. Um, it's not about who accepts the invitation. But the invitation is for breakthrough. But not just breakthrough, but abundant breakthrough. Yeah. Yes. Two scoops. <laughs> I think it's interesting because it's not like the band and the, the person who's doing the transition and the speaker. It's not like we have a meeting to get on the same page but what we're speaking about with breakthrough has been the theme this morning, whether we've sang it or prayed it. So, here's what I've been learning uh, or have observed over um, 
my church history. As we come here and we, get, we sit down and someone's getting ready to speak to us. But the scripture it talks about, um, it give, Jesus is given a parable in the Synoptic Gospels. And he says that when the truth is spread, and he's using agricultural references. So he's talking about uh, truth as a seed. When you scatter seed, it falls on different kinds of soil. And depending on where the seed lands depends on what type of fruit is produced or the lack thereof. And so he talks about there's a soil that is really fertile soil. And when the truth is planted there, that's when it yields the most fruit. So every single one of us, we come from different situations and it, it varies. could be a third shift job. Most of us are probably coming from home. Or getting coffee. Whatever the case may be. And we're just coming from different places. So in order to receive the word and, and it being the most effective, what I've seen is when people are kind of on the same page, like our heart is centered in the same place, it brings some unity. Uh, and that's when truth is produced most fruitfully. Um, so I'm going to try to visually guide us through something. I had a dream a um, couple months ago. Um, I, have, I think I've shared it with a couple people. But I'm just going to guide us through this dream visually. I think it's going to get us right. Are you ready? If you're real visual, you might want to close your eyes just so you can visualize this. If you get distracted when you close your eyes by other thoughts, then you don't have to. So here's the dream. <clears throat> the opening setting is, um, to my best understanding, a church. The decor is traditional yet orthodox. So lots of marble and tapestry. There is um, a priest um, and a groom standing at the end of an aisle. The priest is in total adoration of the groom. He's not concerned with anything else that's going on around him. And the groom has his focus on the end of the aisle where there's a set of double doors. The groom is someone of power and influence, yet he's full of gentleness and patience. One of the two double doors in the back cracks open just a little bit, and a shy bride peeks out, afraid to come into the light. The groom notices the bride and signals her with excitement and invitation with his hand. Reluctantly, the bride steps out in the aisle but doesn't lose focus of the groom. And when the light exposes her, her skin is ash. 
with every step that she proceeds towards the groom, this ash begins to fall off. And as she finally makes it to the groom, all the ash is gone and her complexion is a complexion of purity and excitement and relief. If you haven't caught on already, this was the end of the dream. If you haven't caught on already, the priest was the father in total adoration of his son, which is the groom, Jesus. We are the bride, and the ash represented shame and guilt and impurity. And the result of the bride's purification was her relentless focus on the groom and her willingness to accept his invitation to come. So I'm just going to take really a blind step of faith here. Um, At some point during that description, I really think that there's someone in here who... um, started to feel something in their heart or think some thoughts in their mind and they just felt like an urge to actually demonstrate what was happening in this dream. And for some reason, you're thinking, I should actually get up out of this chair and walk down the aisle right now. So if that's you, would you do that right now? Would you just come down here to where I am if you felt any inclination of that whatsoever? I have something from you. This will not make sense yet, but I wanted to give you that, and you can go have a seat. Thank you. Anybody else? Perfect. Okay. So I felt like this. uh, What I gave you was a toy arrow. I wanted to make sure no one was hurt, so the end is rubber. There's no feathers on it. That's okay. So I really felt like that. um, The people that this spoke to is people who are... Um, facing an enormous battle right now. A big fight is approaching. You're doubting your ability to um, participate in this battle, whatever it may be. And uh, I, I really feel like that the Lord just wants you to remember um, 2 Kings chapter 13. Just write that down. I'm not going to read it. It's an incredible story. What happens is uh, there's a king. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It, phonetically, it looks like it's Jehoash. So he comes to Elijah, who was the major prophet of that time. He's dying. And he says to Elijah, uh, I, 
the enemy is very large, I'm not confident that we're going to win. And so Elijah tells him, he says, go and get your bow and an arrow. So he does, and he comes back. He says, open that window right there. He opens the window, and he shoots an arrow out the window. And Elijah says, this is the arrow of the Lord. It represents victory over the enemy that you're not sure that you can face. And he says, go get a handful of arrows. And he comes back, and it does. And he says... Beat them on the ground. So he beats the arrows on the ground. Three times. And Elijah actually gets mad. He says, you should have beat it more. Because every time you beat it represents victory over every battle that you go into. What the Lord has shown me lately is something really significant in Jeremiah chapter 1. Again, it's not going to be on the screen. You're going to have to read it. But God, he comes to Jeremiah. He's very young, and he calls him into ministry. He says, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were even born. While while the chemistry of your mother's body was working together to create you, I knew you. And even during that process, I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. Little did Jeremiah know that his journal would be published in the most popular publication in the history of mankind. Probably didn't see that coming. But after he called him, he trained him. Imagine receiving a personal training from God himself. And he says, what do you see, Jeremiah? I don't know where he was. He could have been looking out a window. He could have been sitting in the dirt. But he said, I see an almond branch. And God says, well, you see well. Because I need you to remember, every time you see that almond branch, it means that I'm looking over my word to perform it. And he said, what else do you see? He says, I see a pot of boiling water. And then God goes on to give him a description And what he was training Jeremiah to do was to use natural things to remember and elicit supernatural activity. So I know for a fact there are plenty of people in this room who need victory over anxiety and hopelessness. And fear and depression. And you just need to beat your arrow on the ground. Right on? Okay. Now that all the prophetic acts are out of the way, I think that we're kind of centered uh, in a particular place that's bringing some unity. And I think we're ready for the word. The word's not a complicated word this morning. Uh, I think how uh, the Father wants to usher in some 
breakthrough this morning, not just breakthrough, but abundant breakthrough, is to bring some maturity to us. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. Uh, I have three small kids. But one minute they are playing together so peacefully, and 20 seconds later they're trying to kill each other with Nerf swords. I get to work with teenagers a lot. One minute, they are totally focused, totally awesome. Within 30 minutes, they're pouting because Chipotle has run out of the protein they want. (laughs) What we see in juveniles and adolescents a lot is a, a continuous lifestyle of emotional responses. Good or bad, it just depends on the day. And there's 20 goods and bads in one day, right? Something happens, we feel a certain way about it, and then the way that we feel affects the way that we behave. And life is just one big emotional roller coaster. That's what we usually see in children, but, you know... I still see a lot of growing up that I need to do myself. Because even though I'm not five anymore, sometimes I still act that way. So I think what the Lord is wanting to do in maturity is to bring us some stability in the way that we steward our lives. And there's a promise for us In Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. Now, Paul is speaking here, and he's talking about, he gives us this list of resources that we use to build up the church. And obviously, he's not talking about a physical building. He's talking about us as a church. So he says, you have these resources so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves... And carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him. Who is the head into Christ. So how do we mature out of living an emotional response lifestyle? I think it first begins with understanding emotions and their purpose. There's a couple of things that they're going to put on the screen here. Uh, let's start with the basic positive emotions. Yes, there they are. So here are some basic positive emotions that we experience throughout our life. Joy, kindness, peace, generosity, self-control. There is definitely a more extensive list, but just consider for yourself some basic positive emotions. Happiness. Peace, calm, rest. Those are your basic positive emotions. So let's go to the basic negative ones. Yes, here's some basic ones. Fear, sadness, anger, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. You can add to this list. A lot of the other things you could add to this list are really just subcategories of these main ones. The thing about negative emotions is that they're painful. 
We'll do a lot of things to avoid pain, won't we? Naturally. No one enjoys experiencing pain. The thing about pain is that uh, pain is just you having an ongoing need and it just continuously not being met. That's where pain comes from. And the reason we have these emotions, we like to demonize emotions a lot, but they're not a bad thing. It doesn't matter which category they're in. When something's wrong in your car, what happens? Like this light comes on on the dashboard. And if it's real bad, then the car just stops. It shuts down. We got a real problem here. So the whole reason we have emotions is because they're indicators letting us know that something is wrong or right. And when we're experiencing the good things, it means all of our basic needs are being met. And when we're experiencing the bad ones, it means that we have a deficit in the area of our basic needs. Does that make sense? We're tracking so far? Good. So, if I was in your shoes hearing this, I would say, well, if I experience negative emotions based on pain, and pain is an ongoing need that's not being met, what are my basic needs? Which is a tricky thing, because in Romans chapter 7, um, Paul is talking about what he thinks he wants, and he's not sure what he wants, and then when he gets what he wants, it's not really what he wants. I think we go through life a lot like that as well. Thinking we know what our needs are, but really, it's not. Sometimes we have basic needs, and we treat them as a luxury. How many in here know that a luxury is something that you can live without? A luxury can be sacrificed. But a basic need cannot. And so when we treat them as a luxury and we just continue to have them not be met, we just live in a lifestyle of pain. It's not a good place to be. So what are the basic needs? First, I think we need to understand the way that we're made. Once we understand the way that we're made, we can understand the needs that come along with that makeup. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God is three in one. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And, we were, and when we were made in the likeness of that image, we were made body, soul, and spirit. We are also a trinity. And each element of that trinity has its own needs. The easiest one to identify is the needs of the body. You could put that up there. Um, so food, water, shelter, um, human contact. These are all basic needs of the body. If you don't think that they are, then try living without one of these and see what happens. 100% you'll die. We don't want that to happen, so don't actually try. Okay? These are the basic needs of the body. If these needs are being met, 
then what you're probably experiencing is positive emotions. Do you know how many poor decisions I've made just because I was tired? Some of you just need to stop and go to sleep. I've hurt a lot of people's feelings just because I was hungry. We call it being hangry. Just eat. Some of you guys need to leave this keto and everything else behind and eat a cheeseburger. Oh, Lord. Drink some water. Make sure you're hydrated. So what about when all these needs are met, but you're still experiencing some pain? Could be that your soul is not getting its basic needs met. Your soul is the place where your thoughts and your personality and your temperament All of those intangible things, but they're real. All of those things exist in your soul. And so when the Lord created you, he created you with particular needs that your soul has. You can go to the next one, dude. So here's the three basic needs of the soul that I've discovered. Your soul has to have intimacy. That's the need to be known and to know others. Your soul has to have connectedness. That's the need for your story to be significant to those who you are connected with, around, influenced by, influencing. And your soul has to have comfort, the need to feel safe. So... Where are the scriptures, Josh, that testify to these things? How about the entire Bible? Was the whole purpose of our created existence not to be known and to know the Father? Did Paul not go to great lengths in every letter that he wrote to identify us as one body, unity, connected, not able to function without each other. When Jesus described the person who would replace him, did he not call him the comforter? Uh, This was interesting, the need to feel safe, comfort, because a lot of times in this society, we demonize comfort. We say you got to get out of your comfort zone if you want to grow which I do subscribe to. Without risk, there's no progress. But I started to think differently when I started to understand the Holy Spirit as the comforter. So comfort must not be a bad thing. And uh, I was in a, a Bible study one Tuesday morning, and this one of my friends there, he said, uh, I made the comment, you know, I think that there's a really thin line between comfort and complacency. And he said, yeah. He said, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. So complacency would be finding comfort in anything that's not the Holy Spirit. And then it made sense to me that the reason that we have the comforter is so that we can feel safe 
when he tells us to venture into dangerous territories. And what I mean by dangerous territories is territories of your life that are occupied by the enemy, but the Lord's telling you travel in and take them back. That's one of the many roles of the Holy Spirit. That's strong. Woo! The Spirit has its own basic needs as well. First one is communion. The need to feel God near. In Genesis, you see Adam spending a lot of time with the Father. It says that Jesus walked in the cool of the day in the garden. Communion. Second thing is communication. The need to hear God speak. In Matthew 4, 4 it says, But he answered, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Last thing the Spirit needs is guidance. The need for wisdom, direction, and boundaries. In Genesis 2.16 it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. In the beginning, man even needed God to tell him what he could eat. John seven twenty eight through 29 says, So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Even Jesus had to be sent. Even Jesus had some boundaries about where he went and how he got there. And John sixteen thirteen says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Not even the Spirit speaks out of his own decisions or will, but he's told what to say. Our spirit was designed for guidance, wisdom, direction, and boundaries. So sometimes where we get tripped up is like temporary fulfillment comes from meeting this list of needs in all three of these areas in an unhealthy way. So um, in my counseling career, obviously I would uh, encounter a lot of people who suffered from uh, substance abuse, or some sort of relational addiction. And um, what people were doing is they were trying to use their bodies to fulfill a need of the soul. You can't meet an intangible need with, an, with a tangible means. I teach this a lot, especially when it um, pertains to like premarital sex with our teens. Is the irony is our soul has the need to be known. So sex is obviously one of the great intimacies to be known. 
But oftentimes it happens with somebody we barely know. And so we've tried to meet a need of our soul using our bodies. It doesn't work that way. It temporarily fulfills, but ultimately it leads back to pain. Because you keep trying to fulfill a need and it never gets filled. It's a dangerous place to be. Sometimes we try to use the soul, the needs of the soul, to fulfill the needs of the spirit. I've seen so many people come across uh, my path who have actually replaced the role of the father with an earthly individual. And so all of our need for communion and communication and for guidance comes from another individual. God is not the first stop when it comes to meeting those needs. And they're completely devastated when that relationship walks away from them. And so they just go to the next relationship. It's called codependency. It's a real thing. It doesn't work that way. You can't use the soul to meet the needs of the spirit. So Adam's right. This is real practical. So next time that you are experiencing some pain, you need to start going down the list and seeing where your deficits are. Do I not feel known? Do I feel like that my story is insignificant? Do I just need some sleep? How long has it really been since I've listened to the Father? How long has it really been since I felt like He was close to me? Is this making sense so far? Cool. So, uh, just getting your needs met is not going to provide abundant breakthrough for you. Getting your needs met is going to position you to get breakthrough. And here's why I say that. I notice in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, it says that when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Here's what's interesting. It says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you pray. So sometimes for us, day after day, we come to God and our prayers are always uh, consisting of our needs. But the fact is, He already knows what our basic needs are. It is, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Your needs do not escape him. And he will fulfill them. Sometimes it feels like he's not fulfilling our needs because our need isn't actually a need. We've made a luxury a need and our need a luxury. But go down this list and really evaluate, are these things being met? I think what we'll find is that we can't actually say, God, my needs are not being met. God already knows your needs before you even pray. So what should we pray for? In the very next chapter, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks for him, him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? It's not our needs that we should continue to be asking for day after day, but it's the good things. This community is going to witness breakthrough when we start praying for our God-given dreams again. What are the impossible things that God has asked you to pray for? So, uh, Braxton, if you want to come on up here, we're going to finish this morning time um, with another prophetic act, if you will. John 1.16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It doesn't say from his fullness our neediness is met. Your basic needs are going to be met. What is it above that that we should be praying for? What is it that you've stopped praying for? Just like Adam said earlier. What are the dreams that God has given you to pray for? Breakthrough is meant to be abundant, not just basic.